The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Today's buzz, banking fraud. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, let's get started. Show me the money. Earlier this year, a band of cashiers, and that's in quotes, literally took matters into their own hands, swiping prepaid debit cards at ATMs across New York City and 25 countries. I'm tempted to say New York City and 25 other countries, but we'll let that go. They pocketed $45 million in cash. Yes. The problem? It wasn't their prepaid debit cards, and it wasn't their money. So how could this happen? More important, what are the good guys doing today to detect these emerging fraud patterns, and how do they plan to stop what I call the emboldened outlaws and what we're finding out are sophisticated cyber criminal organizations? Oh, I see a movie title in there somewhere. From digging even deeper into our personal and corporate pockets. The experts speak, and I've got three terrific experts, people in the know. You're going to hear from these three people today. Nuno Sebastiano from Feedseye says, flash attacks are a new threat in the online world. Imagine a version of these ATM attacks, but in real time, distributed and targeting many online merchants. Shudder the thought. We'll be talking to Nuno in just a few minutes. Prakash Santana from Deloitte is joining us, and he says, okay, on a parody of a, of a popular public service announcement, it's 10 p.m. Do you know where your credit card is shopping? Uh-huh. We'll be talking to Prakash in a minute and having him explain the implication of that for all of us. Rounding out our panel today is Eric Stein from SAP. And Eric observes, we are faced with an increasingly demanding legislative and regulatory environment. And, and here's the kicker, a creative class of criminals that keeps getting smarter. That's what we're talking about today. So join us for more of their expert insights on banking fraud. Can technology outsmart the bad guys? Welcome to Coffee Break with Game Changers. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. It is live for us today. It's Wednesday, July 10th. Where is the year going? And this is episode number 93. Yep, we're pushing toward the 100 mark. Quick question for my Game Changer listeners, and then I will introduce my panelists. Do you know the many ways mobility can transform your business? Learn about it in our free CIO playbook. Click any banner on our site on the World Talk Radio business channel where you're listening or watching us, and you'll go to a page with a lot of free offers. Go look for that CIO playbook. Click it, download it. It's on us. Okay. Let's meet our special panelists today. Nuno Sebastiao is the CEO of Feedseye. He brings his experience to us today in infrastructure and services as well as corporate management skills. 
Previously, Nuno led the development of the European Space Agency Satellite Simulation Infrastructure. That must have been a big business card, Nuno. He also was a co-founder at Evolve Space Solutions, a services company working in the aerospace domain. Nuno from Feedseye, welcome to Coffee Break with Game Changers. How are you today? Good. Very, very glad to be here today. Delighted. Where are you calling from today, Nuno? Uh, I'm calling from the Bay Area, from San Mateo, to be precise, and it's not a sunny. <laughs> okay. Thank you for calling, and we're glad to have you. We have a lot to talk about. Also joining yeah. us is Prakash Santana, Director, Deloitte Financial Advisory Services, LLP. Prakash has worked in the fraud and risk management groups of large credit card insurers and payment startups for over 18 years before joining Deloitte. He has extensive experience in the types of fraud committed and the analytics required to detect fraud at the point of sale, including credit and debit card fraud, ACH fraud, check fraud online fraud, online application fraud. He's just a fraud. He's not a fraud. He's a real guy, and he's talking about fraud. Prakash, I'm sorry. I fell right into it there. How are you today, Prakash? Very good, Bonnie. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. My pleasure. You're the real deal. You're not a fraud. Definitely not. And joining us is Eric Stein from SAP. Eric is in London, and we're going to get the weather report from him in a second. Eric is a senior VP and general manager of SAP Strategic Industries Financial Services Business in North America. He and his team oversee and represent the banking, capital markets, and insurance industries. They deliver solutions that help financial services providers manage risk and regulatory compliance, reduce cost and complexity throughout their businesses and better serve their customers. Welcome, Eric Stein. How are you today? I'm great, buddy. How are you? Wonderful. Great voice. Ever been on radio before, Eric? Nope. This is my first time, so be gentle with me, okay? <laughs> not a chance. Not, not a chance. You just put your seatbelt on like everybody else. Okay. Thank you all for joining me. This is great. Now, I'm going to go back into the monologue, and we're going to pull your quotes apart one at a time and find out what you're really talking about. Let's get our POV, our point of view on what the discussion will be today, and I know our listeners, everybody's affected by this. As I said in the intro, these thieves are digging deep into our personal and corporate pockets. I don't even know if ATM fraud is... Is the current worry right now? I think it goes deeper, and, and Eric particularly wants to talk about that. So Nuno from Feedseye. Flash attacks are a new threat in the online world. Imagine a version of the ATM attacks, but real-time, distributed and targeting many online merchants. So first, please, Nuno, level set for me. What is a flash attack? Uh, good question. A flash attack is, is, is a type of, of, of attack, of pattern that uh, everything seems to be okay in the network, so in the type of transactions you're seeing, they're all normal. And all of a sudden, you see huge spikes of activity uh, that are a result of someone, an attacker, finding a breach or a way to um, get into some merchant. And all of a sudden, you see the transactions in that particular merchant or in that particular uh, um, online channel just spiking. And... Uh, with these attacks, which is effectively uh, uh, the same symptom of what, what the attack we were describing, describing, mm-hmm. uh, describing previously, but done at a much faster pace and with purely online type of uh, uh, merchants, uh, like many of the, the ones you see today. 
Okay, so this is something that unless we figure out it's going to happen, and in a way we're, I think, talking about financial terrorism here, if I can be so bold. Uh, yeah. This is something that needs to be detected because it sounds to me, Nuno, that a lot of planning goes into this. Am I right? This doesn't just happen in 10 seconds. These these cashiers, quote-unquote, who, who attack the ATMs in 26 countries, this just didn't happen on a whim. Hey, guys, we have nothing better to do. Let's go out and tap some cards and go pull some money and laugh all the way home or not to the bank in that case. Uh, how long does it take for this kind of a scheme? Do we know the development time, Nuno? Uh, yes. I mean, we've actually run some back tests on data that we see where we saw similar type of attacks. Mm-hmm. And if you go back in history, you actually see that those same cards or those same, uh, let's say, persons were doing what's called penetration tests way before they actually committed ah. the big robbery, let's say. And you can see that months in advance, they're trying to understand if things are active, if the channel is still open, and then they're, they're kind of like grouping themselves and working that at one particular time, then there's a concerted uh, 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 focus and concerted uh, attack. But these things, they take a lot of time to prepare, and it's it's very professionalized, let's put it like that. It's not It's not the act of some random... Uh, people that don't, don't have anything better to, to do. It's, it's very okay. professionalized, very sophisticated type of uh, activities. And there's the rub. It's sophisticated, it's planned, it's prepared, and it's smart. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Thank you, Nuno. Let's move to Prakash Santana from Deloitte. It's 10 p.m. Do you know where your credit card is shopping? So tell me, Prakash, where was my credit card last night at 10 o'clock? Hello? <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> What did I buy? Where did I go? That's a great question. So, so I, I don't know if you've seen this commercial on TV. A uh, woman turns to her husband and says, "Hey, did you? I just got a call from the bank. Uh, apparently, our debit card is in London, where Eric is right now." Um, so, and and, and and the husband says, uh, "Really? How did it get to London?" So that's exactly what you're talking about. It's not the physical card itself. It's a kind of compromise. Uh, anything related to online accounts, uh, credit cards, uh, debit cards, uh, could, could be compromised. So if you look at the payment value chain, uh, if somebody walks into a merchant and does a transaction, there are lots of different entities that touch that transaction till it gets back to the issuing side. So there are third-party party, party processors that handle the transaction. Uh, there are independent sales organizations that handle the transaction. So, so there are many links in the payment value chain. Cyber criminals do is constantly check every single link in the chain to see who's vulnerable. It kind of reminds you of that movie Jurassic Park, where, where mm-hmm. those velociraptors uh, are enclosed in an electric fence, but they systematically, routinely uh, check every single area of the fence to see if the, the if there's no no uh, uh, electricity. So it's like this: the cyber criminals test the vulnerability of the system, and just because. Uh, one link, one, one entity is uh, secure today doesn't mean that they'll be secure tomorrow. Many things can happen within the organization that could bring the security level down. And these are the guys that are constantly monitoring that to, to penetrate and do, do an attack and compromise customer credentials. 
Thank you, Prakash. I want to do a, a little uh, note here to our listeners. We're calling them the bad guys. That doesn't mean there aren't bad girls in there, too. So nobody get on your PC horse and say, what kind of a show is this? We're talking about anybody who's out there to take your money, whether it's yours, your company's, your wife's, your husband's, whatever it is. We're talking about the bad people. We're calling them bad because they're taking something that doesn't belong to them. Eric Stein, time for you to weigh in here. You say we're faced with an increasingly demanding legislative and regulatory environment. We haven't talked about that yet. And here's what I want to focus on because we have three minutes left till the break, Eric. A creative class of criminal that keeps getting smarter. How? Why? Talk to me, Eric. What do you observe? Sure, although I don't know that I'll say anything particularly original here. I think uh, Nuno and Prakash have both alluded to it. Look, we live in an environment that goes well beyond the world of credit card fraud into terrorist financing and sanction mm-hmm. screening into anti-money laundering, Ponzi schemes, offshore tax havens. The public expects, and they have entrusted their money to their financial services provider, their bank, their credit card company, and expects a certain amount of security and protection in return. We've all had the experience over the past several years of traveling someplace we don't frequently go to. We're shopping online and getting that call from our credit card company where American Express or Visa might say, hey, did you process this transaction before we go ahead and process your card? We want to make sure it's it's actually you. To the point that uh, Nuno and Prakash have both made, the criminals are going to be testing those systems because most of the technology that exists today has very loose controls around it, processes that can be bypassed, processes that are isolated to an individual line of business. So they'll test the system to figure out where the weaknesses are, changing the patterns faster than the back office can catch them. That comes at a tremendous cost. It costs Mm -hmm. resources. It costs infrastructure. There are compliance penalties for violating customer information privacy or breaking laws associated with know your customer or anti-money laundering. And most importantly, it, it erodes the public trust, and that prevents you from growing your business. If you're a bank, if you're a credit card company, if you're a retailer, if you've broken what is commonly called that gut-level trust connection with your customer, you've immediately placed yourself on the defense of protecting your business rather than on the offense of growing your business. Okay, thank you. I think we've done a complete overview of what we're going to be talking about. We're going to take a break in just about 30 seconds. And when we come back, of course, it's time for, and my three guests are new to the show, what's in your cup today? I'll be asking them, what are they drinking or your best story? Eric, it's probably afternoon in London. We're expecting something to do with tea or wine. It better be good. No no pressure. And when we get uh, right after the coffee break, we're going to be talking about digging into our roundtable. So, Prakash, I'm to open with you. I want to find out what the Gen Xers, the Gen Yers, and the younger baby boomers are doing to proliferate this mobile use of money, mobile use of cars that is probably making banking fraud very, very, very attractive to the bad people. When we write back, I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com and you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are. Our topic today is banking fraud. Can technology outsmart the bad folks? There, I went away from guys, the bad folks. Okay, it's time to find out what's in the cup today of my three esteemed panelists. Let's start out with Nuno Sebastio, CEO of Feedseye. Nuno, what are you drinking today? Uh, I'm drinking uh, what's called the Vivalto Lungo, which is an espresso uh, made out of Italy. As an European, uh, espresso is the way to go. So, uh, Sounds that's what I'm good. Today. And it must be high test. I bet it's loaded with caffeine, yes? Uh, it is. It's actually one of the highest uh, coffee <laughs> with the caffeine levels that you can buy. And it's the best thing uh, I can have to keep me going all day. So. To power you all day. You know what, Nuno? They don't let me near caffeine, especially on radio show days. What can I tell you? Probably figured that out already. Prakash Santana from Deloitte. What are you drinking today, Prakash? Well, I'd like to say Kalua coffee. I didn't bring ice, so I'm drinking office coffee here. Okay. Does it have a flavor, a name, a size? Give me a little more. It's strong, and it gives me the punch. All right. That sounds good. It's doing its job. And Eric Stein in London, what's in your cup today, Eric Stein? Well, I would love to tell you that because it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm halfway yes. through a bottle of wine. We'd be two hours too late and half a bottle too late for that. Uh, instant coffee at the risk of alienating your office, something I would not touch in the United States of America, just yes. tastes different over here. Really? And is that a positive yes. difference? Really? You know, so there's it, something about a British electric tea kettle. It boils the water in about eight seconds flat. It just makes everything taste better. Well, that's good to know. We've had, uh, Eric, in past shows, we've had people give us lessons in how the Brits brew the perfect cup of tea. We'd have people tell us the, the millimeter strength of the china and what the handle looks like and how hot the water has to be. So nice to know that the Brits have a, a pot that boils water in eight seconds. That's good. To, well, that's a new flavor for us. And I have to say that Malcolm Kimberlin at SAP, my co-producer, says, duh, he ran out of coffee filters. OMG, how could that happen? So there's no Phil's Coffee for Malcolm today. 
say, okay, well, he'll have to tell us later what he is drinking. And now we're going to find out maybe what somebody else is drinking. Let's look at some demographic trends. I'm going to ask Prakash Santana to kick off our roundtable here. And you told me before the show, Prakash, more and more Gen Xers, Gen Yers, and younger baby boomers, I'll keep quiet on that one, are using mobile and online channels for all their banking activities. Is that because they're so trusting, Prakash, or just because they're too busy to do it in person? Talk to me. Sure. Um, so if you look at the usage uh, statistics, uh, and if you ask people what channels do you use to do your banking activity, most of them will say online, and then a, a big chunk of them would say ATM. So primarily, uh, people have almost stopped going to their banks or their, their branch locations. They primarily do their, online act, uh, their banking activity through online or ATM. But if you look at the Gen Xers, Wires, and probably even younger boomers, uh, a, a good chunk of them uh, are doing uh, mobile banking. Uh, mobile banking would be either through an app or through an SMS. Uh, and the people who do mobile banking, you do them more frequently. So um, what's going to happen? The trend is that most of us, if not all of us, will have what's called a tablet, it, like an iPad. iPad is a mm -hmm. tablet that has both a browser and we need to have an app. So we'd be doing tablet banking. Uh, tablet banking would be the form the next uh, few years where you could either bank via the browser or you could do an app-based uh, or an SMS-based banking. In fact, if you notice, a lot of banks, or uh, some banks, at least in the U.S., have moved away from staffing people at branch locations uh, to putting out kiosks. Uh, whereby people could go in to these branch locations and do transactions by themselves. Okay. Now, it seems to me that there is a level of trust that's required on both sides. I will use some sort of digital means of doing my banking, and I trust you, Mr. or Ms. Banker, to take care of my credit card number, my balance in my account, my money transfers, whatever it is. I'm trusting you to make them safe. At what point do all of these Gen Xers, Gen Yers have a, a revelation or the little light bulb or the big light bulb goes off? And, uh, and I'm going to ask Nuno for this uh, and it goes off and they say OMG this isn't really as safe as I had hoped you know I have the convenience but damn I don't have the security no no when does that happen or doesn't it for most people um, it actually doesn't and that, that's actually one, one of the problems most people are especially younger generations they're not aware of the kind of risks they're taking when they're sharing their stuff online or they're sharing or they're just using online uh, as a means to do to do everything and one of the challenges um, that occurs today is how how do you balance between keeping the kind of experience that that uh, the younger generations or, or people expect today from uh, interacting with their devices to do their online banking to do their online purchases and whatnot and doing it in a very seamless type of way with mm -hmm. no kind of like asking for passwords with no one calling you to ask you if it's really you that are doing that transaction. How do you balance that ease with the kind of security that you need to have uh, to keep the, the system as a whole or the networks as a whole a trusted way to do, to do business? So this is one of the big challenges um, that you see today. But answering your question, most people are not aware of what's going on the back and mm -hmm. the risks that they would be uh, incurring uh, by some of the actions that, that they take uh, today. 
Okay, Eric, I want to bring you in on this. And Eric, I want to take this in a slightly different direction. We're talking about the users of these online services, the, the mobile generation that says, hey, it's easy, it's convenient, it's right there. Wow, I don't have to go to the bank. I don't have to write a check. This is terrific. I can go on about my life and still do my money management. Okay, and we're focusing still on, on uh, retail, obviously, on the consumer. But, Eric, sure. we're talking about Gen Xers, Gen Yers as being the consumers of the banking services. Tell me, when you say the perpetrators are getting smarter, they're changing strategies. Do we have any insight, any view, Eric Stein, into the age or generational components, demographics, if you will, of the perpetrators? Are they also Gen Xers and Gen Yers? Tell me. And they can be, but I don't know that that's necessarily, with all due respect, Bonnie, I don't know that yeah. that's necessarily the, the best question. I okay. think the victim profile is certainly targeted, but not necessarily targeted at a younger generation, targeted at an older generation who may be less sophisticated with yes. the technology and potentially more trustworthy. As Nuno was speaking, I was actually really interrogating the question and, and, and asking is that is that really true, and is it any different than what it always has been? And, and, and let me explain why I asked the question. Yes, please. Sometimes the biggest risk we assume is the one that we've been assuming for five or ten years, if not decades. The weak link may be the waiter that you're actually handing your charge card to or the teller behind the glass, even mm-hmm. more so than executing a transaction online. The benefit to the prevalence of the technology has been that everything leaves a digital footprint, and digital Mm -hmm. footprints enable us to spot patterns, and patterns allow us to predict behavior and be proactive about it. So I think it's less about looking for demographic trends amongst the criminals or even amongst the victims and putting in place the framework necessary to take advantage of the fact that we're living in a highly digital age because we're probably not going to be moving back into the other direction. So the fact that all of this activity leaves a digital footprint leaves us more empowered than we were in the past rather than less. Good, good points. And uh, also, I'm going to bring up one more point. You talked about the older generation. They might be more trusting, Eric. They're also less, very much less savvy and new to these concepts. Uh, they are the ones who will go to the bank and hand the card over and write the check and put it in the mail. And they are just not of the digital world. I think there's a great divide. And, and I just read a moment ago somebody's uh, comment that the younger baby boomers, well, I think there's a, there's a mushy demographic there of what, at what age are people really going to be savvy and trusting, or where do we not, where are we not supposed to trust? And Eric, to your point, I remember, and I'm really dating myself here, at least 15, 20 years ago, I was on a dinner date and somebody handed the waiter the credit card. It came back to the table with a carbon. Does, is anybody else old enough to remember when the credit card I came remember back carbon, the, sure. Yeah. You do. And this person, to my shock and dismay, ripped out the carbon, tore it in little tiny pieces, put it in his pocket so it wouldn't go anywhere, and then washed his hands in the water glass to take the carbon off his fingers. And I said to myself, what the H is going on here? That's when I think this awareness started to emerge. But let's, I digress, sorry about that. Okay, now let's you talk about... You must on a dinner date with my father. <laughs> Eric. Well, it would have been to the digital divide and it's <laughs> message from him. 
<laughs> pinpoint the exact age where the mushy baby boomer kicks in. Yeah. Oh, you're killing me here. Okay, we won't go there. But yeah, it's very possible. It's very, very possible. Uh, as a matter of fact, he might have been a little young for me. What can I tell you, Eric? So, so I'll come right back at you. So the question is, we've got three minutes left to this segment. Uh, I'd like to talk about um, this issue of trust and assumptions. We don't need to talk about the demographics of the victims, but trust and assumptions, how pervasive is this? How much is the banking industry trying to let people know, yeah, it's not really really so safe. No matter how you're banking today, there is risk. Or is this a well-kept secret that we have to discover when we are fished or hacked? Who wants to take that one? Sure. I'll start. Um, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, please. Uh, This is Prakash. I'll take that one. Yes, Prakash, please. So so, so first, banks are only starting to educate their customers. So uh, if, if you look at the customer base, uh, most customers expect the bank to provide some level of security. However, mm-hmm. when banks start to give them uh, tools to be able to secure their transactions, uh, cu- customers usually shy away from them. For example, if you see a fraud on your card, you know that your bank will make you whole. So most customers don't even care. Um, and on the other hand, they will complain if they see more fraud on their card. So banks have been dealing with this issue uh, of educating the customer and trying to give uh, tools to help them mitigate. So it's been a it's been a tough thing for the banks to be able to uh, to help educate the customers and 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 have them do take certain measures to prevent fraud on their on their accounts. Okay, Eric, I it's think you want to bad, chime in here. Go it's ahead. It's also bad marketing. Bonnie, mm-hmm. I think the risk is assumptive at this point. I think it's fair and reasonable to assume a baseline level of risk. So we don't really ever educate about risk. What we educate about is security. And mm-hmm. security is good marketing because information integrity is brand equity. And yes. if you have that kind of brand equity as being reputationally a safe and secure place to do business, then you've not only earned, but potentially restored the public trust in an industry that's had a fair battle with it over the last several years in particular. Okay. You know what? You brought us right up to the next break. We're halfway done with our roundtable. When we come back with Nuno Sebastião from Feeds Eye, Prakash Santana from Deloitte, and Eric Stein from SAP, we're going to continue talking about banking fraud. Can technology outsmart the bad guys? But we're going to flip the tables. We're going to talk about the risk and the cost to enterprises. We're going to talk about online merchants, and we're going to talk about solutions. What's going on behind the scenes? Who is out there working to prevent it or stop it in its tracks? or even just mitigate it somehow. By the way, I have a friend who won't even use a credit card in person online anywhere, pays cash for everything, and therefore he has to trust his ATM. Go figure. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers. We'll be right back. Brad out. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. 
SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. We are Japan Stong Shui. I'm here with Nuno Sebastiao from Feedzai, Prakash Santana from Deloitte, and Eric Stein from SAP. Prakash, start us off on the second part of our roundtable, please. Let's shift gears, go away from the consumer side. I think we've scared everybody a little bit into thinking a little more securely about their banking habits. Let's talk about the impact on banks, on enterprises, on online merchants. Talk to me, Prakash from Deloitte. Sure. So if you look at a large financial institutions, they have they have several different business units. They have a deposit side, a debit card side, a credit side, ACH wire, and and so on. Usually these business units run in silos. In other words, they don't talk to each other. So I'll give you an example. Uh, if you let's say went to London and you did a you did an ATM transaction, you could be bull. Because the the debit card unit may think that you could you are uh, it was a fraudulent transaction. On the other hand, if they looked at your credit card transaction, they probably know that you bought a ticket a long time ago and you checked into a hotel. So these are things that the, that an enterprise will have to know about all the relationships a customer has at any given time and what are the activities across business units or across relationships. So. So there are basically four things that uh, bank uh, uh, institutions have to do. The, mm-hmm. in, the first thing is prevention. Uh, in across business units, they have to have uh, good authentication, the ability to authenticate a customer, and even internal employees uh, that access customer accounts. The second one is uh, uh, detection, where they could identify real time and create real time alerts based on out-of-pattern uh, behavior, uh, whether the mm-hmm. customer account or even, uh, even the employees accessing the data. And then, of course, mitigation. And then, lastly, integration of data, because they've got so much data sitting across uh, the enterprise. Uh, they need to bring it all together and be able to know at any given time when a transaction happens, uh, uh, when, a, when a customer does a transaction, what is the riskiness of that transaction? Uh, based on the entire relationship and not just the business unit. Interesting, interesting. And we're talking about uh, knowing your customer, and that always gets into the scary part of big brother, big sister, big daddy, who knows what I'm doing and where. But it's a reality. I don't think you can escape it anymore. It's just part of how we do business and how we, we connect and how we are trackable. Let's turn to Nuno Sebastiao from Feedseye. Nuno, what do you do? What are you doing about all of this? What's your perspective on what we're talking about today? Yeah, I mean, b- building on, on what's being said, I mean, the real challenge mm-hmm. that, 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 that we see today is how do you, how do you, there's enough information out there that actually enables you to do a much better job at understanding the consumer or understanding your actions to see, well, you actually bought a ticket to go to London. The real challenge is, and from a, a, an enterprise perspective, you have to balance that, the cost of 
making sure you have all that data, that you make all those assessments, that you have all the infrastructure needed with actual uh, cost of fraud or the, or the bad behavior itself. And organizations are always balancing this out because you know that uh, the more infrastructure you put into place, it has high cost, high maintenance, and whatnot. So it's a balancing act. Uh, I would argue that today uh, you have the, the technology that would allow you to do all of this but it's actually a very organizational intensive type of effort to put this in, this this into place. Okay. But what you what organizations will need to do is collect all that data and understand the likelihood or the the likeliness of uh, what you're doing being actually you. There's there's enough uh, technology out there to be able to do this today. Is it's we're seeing it rolling out uh, with more. Uh, let's say, early adopter type of uh, financial organization. Organization, typically the ones that have been exposed to risk and felt it uh, in, their, mm-hmm. in, their, in their brand, and this is the biggest risk they face. It's not a financial risk per se, it's brand uh, risk, um, and we're seeing this rolling out. But it's something that will take its time. Interesting. Well, I think that's a function of once bitten, twice shy. Anybody who mm-hmm. has had a negative experience is going to be amongst the first to remediate. But to your point of it being about a massive organizational infrastructure project, I would agree, but I think it's also much easier to execute than the alternative organizational change that would be necessary. Prakash made the point that in today's modern financial institution, especially the large bank holding companies, Nobody really owns the customer. They own the channel. They own the branch. They own a retail loan product. They own a commercial deposit product. They own a cards business. But nobody really owns the customer end-to-end. And to reorganize a bank that may include 100, 200, 250,000 employees around the customer is a massive undertaking. Most of the industry is doing it, but it starts with bringing that data together. And I would argue that technology gives financial institutions an advantage to bring the data together before they completely re-architect or reorganize their entire operating infrastructure. Interesting. I'm going to pose something to the panel. Thank you for jumping in there, Eric. Uh, There have been movies, television shows where uh, about the fascinating world of art theft, high-end, very, very valuable art theft. And in several of those plot lines, the insurance company or the authorities hire an art thief to help them figure out how the latest iteration of art thieves are thinking and acting on what they're doing. So I ask all three of you, is it possible that the people who are perpetrating, there's somebody on the other side who's saying, well, maybe not that looks like an easy target. Duh, banks don't have any clue how I'm going to go and infiltrate. They don't know how smart I am. Is it possible in some kind of organized but very quiet, covert way to find out who these criminals are and say, come work for us and help us figure out what your compatriots on the dark side are going to do next? In other words, it takes a thief to catch a thief. Is that anywhere you see it going, or is that something we're not allowed to talk about? Uh, Nuno, what do you think? Uh, let, me, let me put it like that. I mean, uh, you can actually argue that both ways. Um, mm-hmm. You can argue that sometimes the thief is inside the house, uh, mm-hmm. in that uh, it takes a lot of knowledge to penetrate these systems. So yes. uh, especially when we're talking about the online world. 
Um, so the, the, the perpetrators or people that actually know very well how these systems work. Um, so you can argue that flip side of the coin that sometimes the thief is inside the house. On the other hand, yes, I mean, you, you, you do see uh, sometimes uh, people trying to understand how did the bad guys behave and sometimes they even go as far as, 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 as let's say, converting, uh, especially the ones that have been caught, uh, into addressing or trying to bring them to work with the, with the, with the good guys and say, okay, where, 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 are, the, where are other vulnerabilities in, in, in the system? And, and you see that with some of the uh, more type of account takeovers, middle, man in the middle uh, type of attacks out there. So you okay, do what, is that, a, yeah. what is a man in the middle attack? I saw that in your notes. What does that mean? A uh, man in the middle attack is, is, a, is a technique where basically you think you're talking to your bank, for instance, but ah. in fact you're not. You're talking to a person or a entity that impersonates your bank, and then it relays the information to your bank, but it changes. So if you're doing a transfer, as an example, and you think you're yes. doing a transfer to your, uh, to your relative or to, or to pay your bills, you actually might be doing a transfer somewhere else. So they're right, I know parts of your information. Right, those are the mirror sites that look exactly like your bank with the logo, the colors, everything. To the to the naked eye or to the hurried eye, you would not catch the differences, and you might be sucked in. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, Prakash, what are your thoughts on what we just talked about with Nuno in terms of who, where are these bad guys? How sophisticated are they? And, and please bring into the conversation uh, something about. Massive criminal organizations backing these thieves. How much power sure. is there on the bad side? What do we have to be afraid of? Sure. Uh, first, you asked the question about engaging these bad guys. Uh, yeah. That reminds me of the that reminds me of the movie Catch Me If You Can and Frank Abagnale Jr., who who was actually instrumental yes. in imp- implementing uh, really good uh, solutions for the Czech world. Uh, but that may be good for Hollywood, but I don't think that is possible uh, for the simple reason: uh, if you look at the cybercrime world, it is not one organization. It's actually a service-oriented business. There are different hmm. components in the cybercrime world. For example. Uh, There's an entity that could be specializing in phishing operations. There could be another entity that could be specializing in writing malware. And there's a third entity that could be specializing, and their sole purpose is to find out vulnerability in the software, whether it's existing software or software that's introduced into the market. It could be as simple as a game for an app uh, or or even a sword that you buy on War of Warcraft or something uh, very trivial. But if it is a popular piece of software, then the, the criminals target that to find out the vulnerability in the software. And then immediately, as soon as they know it, it's called zero-day vulnerability. As soon as you, uh, they know it, they then, they then trade that information with the malware authors, who can then write malware and then, uh, with the help of the fishers, disseminate that malware across the, uh, uh, the, the universe. Uh, so... So it's impossible to identify one particular organization who's done the who, who's responsible for this. I mean, take the uh, recent ATM heist that went on that you mentioned at the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, organized crime was only one part of the value chain. They were at basically at the low end of the value chain, and they were running runners to cash out the uh, uh, ATM cards. But it was actually uh, um, malware authors who got into their uh, the processor systems. Uh, to to in, infiltrate the um, um, to take over accounts and then modify the um, uh, rules so that they could create infinity cards. So 
there's a lot of different bartering, if you will, that happens in the mm-hmm. cybercrime world. You cannot pinpoint one entity. Sounds like it's a big industry unto itself, uh, running, running its own game. Eric Stein, I know you have an opinion on all of this. And by the way, Eric, your POV, your point of view, are we really going to be continuing to worry about ATM heists, or is that passe? Is that no longer making the news? First of all, if somebody's targeting players of World of Warcraft, I'm in some serious trouble, so I'm still worrying about the possibility <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> I, look, I don't know that it's passe. I think there will always be a market for consumer fraud because it's easy. There are 7 billion people on the planet, and most of us yeah. are consumers at this point. So it is a very simple, low-entry, balkanized way to fraud the system. I think we're looking to precautious point at something much larger than that. You talk about a financial institution hiring like criminal, and I'm sort of picturing you know a guy in a black turtleneck with a bandit's mask on, and Ooh. he's right. It's not like that anymore. Even if it was, banks would never do it because it's terrible marketing. It's impossible to keep it quiet. It would get out. It would drag their brand equity through the mud, and even if they wanted to, they can never get it through Oprisk, which is the gateway to just about anything. I can barely get a contract through Oprisk. Um, but criminals are syndicates now, and it's added a layer of complexity to the nature of fraud that goes well beyond consumer fraud and really does go into the world of terrorist financing, sanction mm-hmm. screening, money laundering. It, it, it's an operation that, that's writ extremely large. So I, 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 much as I'd like to believe differently, I think there will always be a market for it, and it will always get more complex. Okay, good to know. And we're going to come up now. We're at our break. Thank you, Eric, for taking me up to this point. When we come back, I'm going to ask my three guests. Actually, during the break, you've got 57 seconds, so start right now. Eric Prakashan Nuno, I want you to pull out the chamois, the banky, the cloth, the rag, whatever you use. Polish off the crystal ball. I want you to look ahead five years if you can see that far. Blue skies, clear skies ahead. How will technology help us at least mitigate all of this banking fraud, these patterns, these criminal organizations, the bad guys and gals who really want to take our money, and they're working damn hard at making a success of their own business enterprises. So when we come back, it's crystal ball time. You don't want to miss these predictions. They could keep money in your pocket. I tell you that. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers. We'll be right back. Stick around. Brad out. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com 
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are, and it's that special time in the show when I ask my guests, my esteemed panelists, to take a look in the crystal ball and predict ahead five years to 2018 and tell us what our topic of the day will be like. So I'm going to ask them to predict how technology will or will not be preventing or mitigating banking fraud in 2018. Let's kick this off with Nuno Sebastião from Feedsai. Go ahead, Nuno. Okay. Um, so I would point, point it like that. Uh, with uh, the growth of electronic payments, uh, the data we have is somewhere between uh, 10% to, in some regions, around 30% on year over year. Uh, we will we foresee or we understand that in the next five years, uh, emerging payments uh, methods will become uh, the standard approach. We're talking about digital wallets. Uh, we're talking about uh, new currencies that we, we start to see gaining some traction, such as Bitcoin or Litecoin or similar type of uh, approaches. And we will, we will see that uh, the continued trend of more and more transactions will be done online, mobile only, than brick-and-mortar type of merchants. Um, all of these have in common the fact that they're purely digital. So we're talking about just bits and bytes moving around. No, no physical interaction, no type of uh, physical presence. So what needs to happen uh, in, the, in the industry as a whole or in, the, in this area of uh, payments as a whole is there will, we will need to guarantee that all of that is, is safe. As a consequence, um, there will need to be massive investments in infrastructure to guarantee that these are trusted mechanisms, all of these emerging ones. And very relevant, something we haven't talked before, is mm-hmm. in common these transactions also have the fact that they are more and more real-time based type of transactions. So there are transactions that... The, the moment you press purchase, the moment you press transfer, the money is gone. There's the, mm-hmm. It's not the next day or two, two or three days like it, it happened in some cases today. The money is gone and has been transmitted somewhere. So you really need to have uh, infrastructures in place that guarantee that you really know or you really trust that transaction and that what's happening, that payment, that purchase is really from where it's supposed to be, from the, the, the person that is doing it, and it's really going to the merchant and being uh, 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 all, all through the way, all through the network, making sure that it's safe. This is where we see uh, um, the challenges and what will happen in the next, in the next years. And just tell me quickly, what is Feedside doing about this? I know this is your business is what, detection? And what, what are you, what's your contribution to yeah, making this our, a better our place? Our contribution is to ensure uh, that we keep the system safe. And we've touched in the show in a number of things that we do is collect all the data from the many different points that you have, enrich it with other sources of data that we might have, and try to validate as close as we can to the moment that the transaction happened, that that you bought something, 
uh, on that online retailer or on that on, on, on whatever merchant, making sure that that is uh, a trusted a trusted transaction. That's what that's where our business comes in is to guarantee that the transaction it is from you to the merchant you're buying from and the the uh, whatever you're buying is 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 what you bought, and we keep the network the network safe and ensure that uh, uh, it is really you doing the transaction. Good. We're counting on you to keep us safe. Good news. Thank you, yes. Nuno, from FeedsEye. Prakash Santana, Director, Deloitte Financial Advisory Services, LLP. What's your perspective on five years from today? Will technology help us mitigate or even get rid of or wipe out even one little percent of this massive growing industry called banking fraud? Talk to me, Prakash. Sure. Um, so first, we'll always be playing catch-up to fraudsters. And the okay. simple reason is, and the simple reason is, uh, banks have to le- uh, deal with the lowest common denominator. In that, in the, what I mean by that is, when they deal with their end consumers, they have to deal with all types of uh, technologies. Some some people may still be using Windows Millennium, for all you know. So they have to deal with technology on the client side that may not be at, uh, at par with what it what is what should be uh, people should be using today. So that's number one. Number two, what we're going to see is banks will adopt a layered defense by that because they, they are aware that there's no single silver bullet to prevent fraud. They'll be mm-hmm. trying to uh, use technology, infrastructure, tools, all different types of uh, um, uh, methods to prevent, uh, mitigate, detect, and integrate, uh, and detect the fraud and integrate data across the enterprise. What you're also going to see is introduction of EMV or chip cards, microprocessor-based chip cards in the U.S. will significantly lower counterfeit fraud, but you're going to see fraudsters move uh, move over to the lowest hanging fruit, which is card mm-hmm. not present fraud. So in the card world, you're going to see a dramatic drop in counterfeit fraud, and and, and so would uh, and debit card fraud as well will drop. However, e-commerce fraud would go would be escalating. In terms of biometrics, we've already seen um, uh, telephone companies adopt biometrics for call centers because of phone forwarding fraud, where uh, if you call the number of the customer and you think you're talking to the customer, it's actually a fraud. They forwarded the phone number. So now they're using voice biometric technology to detect and analyze the, uh, the person at the other end to make sure they're indeed the customer. That's going to be in full force at uh, call centers for all institutions. Fingerprint technology be in play as well. Um, we know that companies like Apple are experimenting with fingerprint technology. Finger-based cloud wallets will change the way we make payments. We don't need to carry cards anymore. We'd be able to make a payment with just touching a, 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 to, a device with our finger and be able to make the payment. So I think um, we, we're going to see a lot of innovation in terms of fraud prevention in the next five years. Um, and uh, it, it's already in the making uh, if you look at various top financial institutions. Thank you, Prakash. Great, great predictions. Appreciate your broad brush there. And Eric Stein, we have time for you, of course, Senior Vice President, General Manager of SAP Strategic Industries Financial Services Business in North America. What's your perspective, Eric? What do you see from the view at the top where you are? What's happening? Look, the same thing about making predictions is hopefully five years from now nobody will remember them, although 
this broadcast is going to leave a digital footprint so somebody can go back and check my work. You I'm bet. tempted to only predict <laughs> safe things five years from now. Nah, like nah, take a risk. Moving. Make your father proud. Go out on a limb. All right. I'll give you three. One, uh, technology change will drive operational change. The fact that we need to bring the data together will force financial institutions to do what they want to do anyway in order to grow revenues, which is to reorganize their entire business around the customer. It will be a massive operational undertaking that will require the tearing down of what you call fiefdoms would be an understatement after many, many decades, if not centuries, of the banking industry here in the United States. But I think that will drive two further changes. The first is what I would call the giving way of privacy for security. The reality is in a world where people will post information online, their most private moments and tag it with a photo for dozens, if not hundreds of people to see, Mm -hmm. and will tear up the privacy notices that arrive every January, like late Christmas cards, because they've really all become noise at this point. We're living in a world where people don't really care about privacy anymore. They care about security, and they think security is the obligation of the corporation, the uh, company that they're doing business with, the retailer, the bank, or the credit card provider. And the reality is that technology will create all new kinds of fraud and new classes of criminals, but it will make it a lot easier to track and to catch. The second is I think we're going to see a change in how banks treat their customers playing out from that operational change. I agree with Nuno that we will see the rise, if not the uh, total penetration of the mobile wallet. Your credit card, your money, it will all be digital. It will all be on your phone, and we can have this conversation from our iPhone 10s five years from now when that happens, but I actually disagree with Prakash. I don't think the uh, chip-embedded card is coming. I think it's going to be totally bypassed for the phone, which will create whole new sets of of theft and and, and fraud risk. But I still think we're going to have physical locations. I think we'll be surprised, just like the e-reader didn't get rid of books and the Internet Mm -hmm. didn't really get rid of retail locations, the branch experience is going to change, the retail experience is going to change, and the products and services that we expect banks and corporations and retailers to deliver are going to be around things like service centers. How do I care for my aging parents who will still send me misspelled texts from the nursing home? (laughs) How do I... How do I save for an adoption? How can my bank or my retailer deliver to me a personalized experience that I can actually only get in person? And how does the online experience, the digital experience, and the live experience blend into something that's truly seamless, which people were predicting five years ago, and we still haven't delivered, but it's coming sooner or later. It's coming. Eric, I'm out of time. These were great. You know what? I think I have to invite you all back for part two. Watch for an invitation from me because I know there's a lot more. I have to do my predictions. I've got 20 seconds and let's wrap here. July 17th, next Wednesday, we're going to have a special edition called the Startup Insider up close and personal with three technology startups. Their challenges, the DNA of a world-class launch team, what keeps them awake at night and so much more. July 24th, mark your calendars. The new CMO in the age of customer experience. What a panel. We're 
going to be joined by Jonathan Becker, CMO of SAP, Marcy Schinder, the CMO of Nielsen, and Digital Clarity's Alan Bondi. What a conversation that's going to be. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I want to thank my special guest, Nuno Sebastio from FeedSide, Prakash Santana from Deloitte and Eric Stein, of course, from SAP. Shout-outs to Malcolm Kimberlin, Reza Sudegar, Don Trotta, Brad Ryan, and the Business Channel team. Here's my call to action. Fast as I can, Brad. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for Coffee Break with Game Changers. It's been a pleasure. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.